question for you today, brothers and sisters. Have you ever been the victim of injustice? Have you ever been the victim of injustice? Now, I'm going to go ahead and answer that for you. The answer is yes. We are all the victims of injustice, and it probably doesn't take too much poking around uh, and a few examples for you to realize, oh, yeah, I, I have been a victim of injustice. We've all been wronged, have we not? Anybody who has a sibling and grows up with that sibling has been wronged. Injustice happens in the Barclay house every single hour of every single day. Injustice happens, doesn't it? Those of us who love sports teams, we know when that referee doesn't get the call right, don't we? And we feel violated, don't we? If they don't call it our way. Anybody get angry when the call doesn't go your way? I hate it. I have to confess I get angry when the call doesn't go my way. Did anyone die because that call didn't go my way? No. Was anyone abused because that call didn't go my way? No. And yet, the injustice of it all. We've all been unjustly treated. There are more serious incidents other than a sibling uh, taking a toy or something happened on our favorite team. Sometimes we grow up in a home that might be called a broken home where injustice happens in graver ways. Uh, parents who either neglect or don't treat their kids with uh, respect. In, in some ways, even the most loving homes are not fully just all the time. I try to have a, a fair and just home, and yet I don't always get it right as a father. Injustice happens everywhere. And then there are those times where injustice happens, and it's significant, and it's life-threatening, and it's, it's threatening to our well-being, or it's threatening to those that we love the most. And it's when it, that kind of injustice comes into our front yard or even into our living room that we become very concerned about justice in the world. We live in one of the most just societies in the history of humanity in the United States of America. We take justice seriously, and yet we can't always get it right. What is this bit about justice? Well, in our story today, this widow has been unjustly treated. And so she goes to the judge and begins badgering and pestering the judge. Give me justice. Give me justice. Give me justice. In the Old Testament, there are really two kinds of justice, and it really stays true for today. In order for justice to happen, you have what's called uh, retributive justice. In retributive justice, that's when you punish the wrongdoer or you make the wrongdoer pay back for what he or she has done wrong. That's retributive justice. Uh, restorative justice is when you restore something that has been lost or a right that somebody has. These forms of justice are necessary in any society. We see these in the Old Testament. We see these in Jesus' day, and we see these in our world today. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 24 uh, God is setting up the law and the rules, and He's saying to Israel, this is how you are to live as a people as you enter into the land that I'm going to give you. Once you set up shop as a nation, here's how you are to treat one another. And God provided some special rules for some people who would tend to fall between the cracks of injustice. Those rules were specifically designed for widows and orphans and sojourners. 
Those are the three groups of people who would tend most likely to fall between the cracks because they were not tied to somebody who owned land. And in the agricultural world of Israel, owning land was basically your source of life. And if so, you weren't tied to that land, then you had to have provisions made for you so that you weren't pushed away and dehumanized. The Old Testament law made sure that that was in place. This woman is a widow. She is in a vulnerable position. And it's most likely she knows the Old Testament law that she has certain rights that she can't be taken advantage of. And so she goes to the judge and she says, grant me justice against my opponent. This woman is relentlessly pestering this judge for justice. Justice based upon the law that God had already given. Jesus commends this woman. Normally, women in that day would need an advocate to plead cases for them. Thus, this woman was very audacious in going directly to the judge. The gospel writer Luke has already given us several examples of faith whose primary characteristic seems to be relentless persistence. We see the friends of the paralytic lowering him through the roof, taking a hole out of the roof and lowering him down, breaking through literal barriers. We see a bleeding and ceremonially unclean woman who reaches out to touch Jesus, breaking through that social barrier. We see a Roman centurion, a foreigner, who sends messengers to Jesus saying, hey, you don't need to come under my roof. Just say the word and it will be done. I am not worthy for you to come into my house. Jesus says, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. We've seen the sinful woman who comes in and washes Jesus' feet in the midst of a Pharisee's home, breaking through more social barriers. And now we have this widow in today's text, who will not let go until this judge grants her justice. So there's something about faith that has to do with a willingness to kind of let yourself go, to let go of what other people are thinking, to let go of all the, the social norms and, and breaking through some kind of barrier. See it again and again and again, and again, throughout the gospel of Luke. And it's always these outsiders who are doing it. It's the Samaritans, and it's the widows, and it's the, the bleeding women. And it's, it's always the outsiders who are, who are breaking in to Jesus. They're the ones who are commended for their faith. Our NRSV translation today is a little bit soft here, actually. Other translations, this judge says, so that she may not wear me out, other translations say, so that she will not beat me down. The language implies that this woman isn't just nagging, but she's threatening to go to fisticuffs with the judge. It reminds me of a character in the Old Testament by the name of Jacob. Jacob in the book of Genesis came to a point in his life where he wrestled with God. It says that he wrestled all night with an angel of the Lord, which turns out to be God himself. And after wrestling all night, 
The angel of God says, let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so the Lord blessed Jacob. It's that stubborn persistence again. You know, I don't know about you, but it's out of that moment that God names Jacob. He renames him Israel. And the word Israel means one who wrestles with God. God names his own people one who wrestles with me. Like, I, I don't know. Do you, do you know of a God who says, come at me, bro? That's God. Come at me, bro. Let's wrestle. Let's get, let's get on. Let's get it on. And this is the kind of mentality that Jesus commends. Boldness, audacity, relentless persistence. He encourages his followers to be this way. And then he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's a scary question. Faith keeps popping up as we walk down the road of Luke. It just pops up again and again and again and again. We've seen that faith goes along with obedience. The apostles say, increase our faith. And then Jesus tells a story about servants who don't do anything in order to get their master to, to love them anymore. They just do it because that's what they're supposed to do. Faith goes with obedience. We've seen how faith goes along with gratitude, how this young leper who was healed of his disease, one out of ten, the other nine go into town, this one leper comes back and he falls on his face in front of Jesus and gives gratitude to Jesus. Something about faith goes with gratitude. And today we see that faith goes along with persistent prayer. That if you have this sense of never letting go of God mentality, that that's because of a strong sense of faith. And Jesus says, do it all the way to the end. Do it all the way until the Son of Man comes back. What about our faith today? Where is your faith? How can we be a people of faith? How can we have a faith that endures all the challenges of life? Because we know it's not easy, is it? You know, some of you have great faith. Some of you, on your prayer card that you're going to turn into this basket today, you write the same names every single week. Some of you have been writing down the same names of the same people for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months and even years. I think Jesus looks at that and says, man, look at that faith. That's persistent prayer. If you're one of those people, keep writing those names. Do not let go. Write it out as an act of faith. Write it out as a prayer. Not just so that we can be aware of it, but so that you yourself can be continuing to participate in it and have some kind of external, tangible way of reminding yourself, yes, I'm praying for this person. I'm putting it down and I'm laying it down at the foot of the cross. I'm laying it down on the altar of God. 
But wherever you are in your faith, whether you consider yourself to be a person of strong faith or weak faith, there are some things about faith that are very important for us to remember. One is that faith is always going to be tested. The Bible never says, hey, once you have faith, it's easy going. We live in a world where faith is continuing to be tested, and it's been that way ever since Genesis chapter 3. Nothing's really new in that regard. Our faith is even commended. It says in the book of James that we're to consider it joy when it's tested. When your faith is tested, consider it joy. That's going to require some rewiring of the spiritual part of my brain. Consider it joy when my faith is tested. Usually I just complain when my faith is tested. Our faith is often tested by certain, I would call them ambiguities or questions that linger, little seeds of doubt that continue to pop up out of the human soul. One of those questions is, is God really good? If you don't believe from the bottom of your heart that God is good through and through and through and through, then you're going to have a shaky faith. The tests and the trials of life are going to expose that shakiness every single time. And you're going to revert to some other coping mechanism other than prayer and faith. There's a lot of other coping mechanism options out there, aren't there, brothers and sisters? This was the lie of the serpent to Adam and Eve. It was subtle. It was in the form of a question, but it was there. Did God say not to eat any of the fruit of any tree of the garden? Can you see kind of the backdoor slyness there? Satan planting seeds of doubt in the hearts of Adam and Eve, and they took the bait. And we've been struggling with our faith ever since. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would approach you must believe that God exists, and He rewards those who seek them. Faith is a belief in the goodness of God, first and foremost. Jesus even says, will God not grant justice to his chosen ones? Jesus comes to this belief that, that God is going to grant justice to those whom he chooses. And yet we still struggle, don't we? I find it interesting that children seem to have this sense of faith. I know that my own children, they're like that widow. They will pester me when they want something, and they will just keep on going until either I give in or I just tell them, I just like, you know, change my tone of voice, if you know what I mean. It's part of my ambiguity of my own boundaries as a dad, right? I want my kids to know I love them, and yet you can't always have everything you want. Parents, y'all know how that feels, don't you? But the difference between myself and God is, is that you know, when my children ask one too many times and I have to raise my voice and get a little more stern and say, do not ask me again. Y'all know that voice? Anybody heard that voice? It's the serious voice. And it's only then when I finally get through to my children. The thing is, I have to do that because, you know, I have to set those boundaries. God doesn't have those kind of boundary issues. 
God's never going to say, do not ask me again. He's never going to say that. God is not a genie that has to do everything that we ask him to do. But God can firmly say no anytime he wants. Often what we ask for is not what the widow's asking for. She's wanting justice based upon the kingdom of God, based upon heaven on earth, based upon Deuteronomy 24. Often we're asking for other things that might have a little more of ourselves involved or what we want. But I encourage you, as Jesus does, to take a chance and go figure that out. It's better to err on the side of asking for selfish prayers and God correcting us than to not ask at all. It's better to go to God and just be a a self-centered person in prayer. Because if you do that, God's going to work on you. You're giving him something to work with. Just like Jacob. He was a self-centered little guy. And in the midst of his prayers, God didn't change his circumstances around him as much as God changed him. Even Jesus, who tells us that God will grant justice, he's on his way to Jerusalem. It's not long until he gets to that garden and he says, Lord, take this cup from me. And then he goes and he says it again. And then he goes and he says it again. Jesus is modeling the persistence again and again and again. God doesn't change it all for Jesus, but he changes Jesus. He gets Jesus to that point where Jesus is ready to go and endure the cross. Go read it sometime. See what you think. Is God really good? The answer to that question, of course, is yes. But you have to experience that for yourself. You have to give that a shot. The only way you can really know that is if you go and you pray on your own. I can tell you that all day long. But it's not going to be enough until you experience it for yourself. The second one is, does God really care about me? Well, the people commended for their faith throughout the Gospel of Luke, they all had reasons to conclude that they might not have been worthy of God's love and attention. We've already talked about them. Widows, paralytics, foreigners, sinners, the ceremonially unclean, and women. All considered second-class citizens of society, and yet those are the ones Jesus is always saying, come on in. So whatever reason you might want to exclude yourself, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not lovable enough, maybe I'm not fill-in-the-blank enough in our overly performance-oriented society, take that and just throw it into the trash. Jesus says, come on in. Come at me. And then finally, this question... Why has God not come through for me yet? It's a very good question, isn't it? What if this widow would have given up? Boy, we know how that feels, don't we? If your faith is going to be tested, part of the test is the test of endurance. Faith is an endurance sport. It's not the 100-meter dash. It's more like the marathon. In fact, it's beyond that. Jesus is going to be looking for faith until the day he comes back. That means there's always going to be some injustice until the day he comes back. Whether that injustice is right in our front yard or the injustice in the world that we live in.
which means there's always going to be a need for prayer and always a need for faith. The endurance is part of the test. And so I invite you to try out a prayer life that is bold and audacious. I invite you to try, try out a prayer life that, that is beyond maybe what you're used to. You could even, you know, find a time where you're all alone. Maybe you're in your house by yourself and, you know, no one else is around. And just kind of get outside yourself a little bit. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Maybe you need to get on your face before God. Maybe you need to yell and shout. What do you have to do to be audacious in your faith? What would that look like in you? You know, part of what we do every week in church is we, we remember where we are in the scope of history. We're in between two very important historical events in the world. Jesus already talked about one, when the Son of Man returns. The other one is, when the Son of Man came the first time. In His first coming, Jesus Himself was unjustly accused. Justice did not happen to Him. He was condemned. He was unjustly killed. He took the injustice of the world upon Himself. When we find that we are not being treated fairly, we can look at the cross. We can look at our God who sympathizes with our weaknesses. Even when our prayers do not seem to be answered, Jesus can identify with us. But the promise of God is that He remembers all things. The promise of God is that He will come someday and make all things right. Even when, when we think things are done, even when we think things are over and the books are closed, nothing has got happened in the world that's outside the scope of what God will not make right. And that's a big part of where our faith lies and what God has done, but also through Jesus and what he will do when he brings justice to the earth. So when we pray and when you pray persistently, then you're praying in faith. And we're aligning ourselves between these events of Christ's death and resurrection and Christ's return. When he returns, will he find faith on earth? think our answer is, yes, he will. Let us pray. Lord, of all the battles that we fight in our life, this battle for our faith is probably the greatest. And while we want to win all those other battles in the world, whatever they may be, would you make sure that we don't lose the battle for our faith? In a world that 
sometimes has little faith. Let us never forget what you have done. Let us never forget what you're going to do. Like that widow, Lord, we bring all the injustices in our heart and our mind, and we bring them before you. Give us a willingness to pester you, to wrestle with you, to never give up, to believe that you truly are that good, and to live our lives in response to that goodness. Make us a people of prayer every day. In your name we pray. Amen.